And welcome everybody to Marin Covenant Church. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, it is the, it's the first week of school, at least uh, in my family. And um, I know, snaps. And one thing that if you know me, it's, it's kind of my fatal flaw and I'm kind of embarrassed to share it. So I'm just going to share it with you so then I don't have to be embarrassed about it. But I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a poser and you all know that. I just have so many desires. I want to do so many things. I want to fit in with so many people. And, uh, and I just can't, but I always am trying. And uh, I've always, with students and young people, I've always tried to figure out what's going on in the world and fit in with them and know what's going on in their world. And, uh, and I noticed my kids, uh, my son was doing this, this new app. And I'm like, ooh, what's this new app? And he's like, it, don't even worry about it, Dad. I'm like, no. You don't tell me not to worry about it. And, uh, and so all week, or maybe the last couple weeks, I guess now, I am on to this new app called Be Real. And if you know, you know. So if you don't know what this is, don't even worry about it. But if you know, you know. Be Real is this incredible app. In fact, it's the only social media I'm on now because I don't have time for all the other stuff. I don't have any time for all the debates. But here it is. You get a notification and you have two minutes to take a picture. And it takes a picture this way and this way at the same time. And, uh, and, and it's whatever's happening. There's no filters. There's no, it's just what is happening. And, uh, and so I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. And so here's that. So this is a picture my son took last Sunday at church. He was, the be real happened here. You guys were part of it. This is him and Nico and that's Canon. And, uh, and because Noah is a senior, he's kind of a jerk. He does this thing where he goes around and says, hey, random person, take a picture of me. And then they take a picture and the other person doesn't know what's happening. And so... And so my son, right, he's throwing fours, another cool high school thing. If you know, you know, right? Throwing fours. And then you have Cannon's face. So I'm like, well, then done. So I was having lunch with a friend of mine with JL. And I say, hey, random stranger, take a picture of me and my buddy. So take a, this, is a, so this is me wanting to be a poser like my son. So this is JL and I throwing fours and uh, with a random person being like, take a picture. And you're like, wait, did this take a picture? And you're like, it did. And um, turns out people don't really appreciate it, but like, hopefully you're not going to see him again. And but what I realized is like, I just admire people. And when I admire people and admire things, I actually tune my life a little bit around it. Like now I'm a be real person. Two weeks ago, I was not a be real person, but because I love my kid, I wanna be like him, I wanna connect with him. I'm like, yes, I'm gonna be a be real person because I admire him, right? And I do that with all sorts of people. Gosh, I wanna be a good golfer like Duncan. Do you know Duncan is a very good golfer? It's real. I golfed with him, and uh, both of us got a birdie, by the way. But I'm like, I want to be a golfer like Duncan. You know, I love Steve. I always kid around with, with Steve Finkbeiner being the smartest guy. But he's not really the smartest guy, but he's definitely the most well-read guy. So, I, gosh, I want to be well-read like Steve Finkbeiner. Larry Toms can fix anything. I cannot fix one thing. So I always try, and then I call Larry, and Larry's like, well, you should have called me first. I'm like, exactly. But I, but I want to do that. Like Ashton, who's on our, on our hospitality committee, she's so full of joy. I wish I was full of joy. Like right now I'm kind of turning it on, but if you see me on Monday in my office, not full of joy. But I want to be like Ashton, right? Uh, Marlene has started this nonprofit that's trying to educate all of uh, Marin educators to stop human trafficking and sex trafficking. It's incredible. I want to be like that. It's so cool. So I find myself like tuning my heart. I admire people. And so I take on little bits because I want to be the sum total, the best versions of everybody else. But let's be honest, at the end of the day, I'm like, I can't do that like you. I can't do that like you. And so I tell myself, and you probably do this too, I'm just going to take parts of that and be the best version of me. Because if I could just be the best version of me, isn't that really what it's about? I want to be fulfilled. And if I'm fulfilled, then people around me are going to be legit. And what's crazy is we actually do that with Christ. 
We love Jesus. He is incredible. What he did is incredible. His ministry is incredible. The things he teaches are incredible and we admire him. And so we think, gosh, if I could just do a little bit of this or a little bit of this and I can become a little bit like Christ, then I'll be fulfilled. I'll be spiritually fulfilled. It's even better than just being normally fulfilled, but being spiritually fulfilled at the depth of my being, that would be awesome. And unfortunately, in neutral, I think many of us in the church and in our contemporary culture, if we have spiritual fulfillment in Jesus, if we admire Jesus, and if we at least are willing to try on a few more things of Jesus and move towards Jesus in admiration, then we're doing, like not, we're doing way better than our peers. So we feel pretty good about it. But that actually is not the invitation that Jesus has for us. That's actually not the call that Jesus has for his disciples, which is to be disciples. And being a disciple is very different and way more challenging than being um, an admirer, right? If I was going to really do what Larry does, I have to be an apprentice. I don't just get to like hold the, hold the flashlight for him all the time. I have to become an apprentice. I do what he does. I follow him and figure those things out, right? Jesus in the same way says, no, you are called to be a disciple. And this, for all of fall, all the way up until Christmas, we as a church are going to look at what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The call is a life of discipleship. All fall, we're going to figure out how to do that. So Micah, look, check out this cool little graphic. This is what this is all about. So this is what we're going to do all fall. What are we going to do? We're going to say, hey, how do we become not just admirers of Christ, but become disciples of Christ? Here's a really simple definition that I think will help frame what we're talking about. It says this, a disciple is someone who learns from and lives like Jesus. This means conforming our words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. And we love people who learn from. I love learning. We, right, we love admiring. But, that's the, but the hard part is when we conform, right? So we're someone who learns from and, but then begins to live like Jesus. This means now conforming both of our words and our actions to the ways of Jesus. So when we say, gosh, Jesus is inviting us into this life of discipleship, this is what we're talking about. And what I love about the Christian journey is Jesus is so generous. He is so generous with us. And if this is your first Sunday with us, you're like, oh my goodness, we are jumping straight in the deep end. We're like, oh my goodness. In fact, we're going to look at the hardest passage of discipleship in the whole passage of scriptures because we thought, gosh, no one's probably going to be here this Sunday. And then next Sunday, we're going to be like, it's going to be great, but you're here for it. So it's going to be great. But what's so great about Jesus, he's so generous, right? If you just are in proximity to Jesus, you experience his grace, his mercy. You experience free food and healing. Like, like the, being around Jesus, you're like, this is legit. But every now and then he sees certain people and says, you, 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 will you come and follow me? And so this morning, and really up until Christmas, every week, we're going to be asking that question. Will you not just be an admirer of Jesus, but will you be a follower of Jesus? Will you be willing to conform your life, your words and actions to those of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn your Bible to Mark chapter 10. And if you're using a Bible, one of the church Bibles, would you just yell out the page number so we can all find that together? 1013. Okay, here we are. Mark chapter 10, verses 17. It begins like this. So as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, for no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. We'll talk about that in a second. Oh boy, poor guy. 
right? So then Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, you know, this passage of scripture is found in, uh, in Matthew 19 and Luke 18. Like this is, there's very few passages that are found in all three of the synoptic gospels. This encounter is found in all three. And I chose this one because I just, this is the only one, Mark is the only one that said that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. At this, my face fell. At this, everyone in this room's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna kind of walk through this this story one more time and just kind of unpack it and then try to get our bearings and come up for air at the end. So hang tight uh, and hopefully at the end, we'll, we'll still be friends, okay? Um, because you have to know this passage is not just for you. I mean, I think any human being, any American, for sure, any Marin person, like this is a hard, hard teaching. And so it's helpful to understand what is happening. So here you are in verse 17, right? Jesus started on his way in a man. And like I said, this is found in Matthew uh, 19 and in Luke 18. And so in Mark, we say he's a man, kind of generic. But if you put, look at all three passages of scripture and you kind of take the sum total of who this person is, we see that they are a ruler or an official. And most likely, you know, they're not a Roman ruler official. They're a Jewish ruler official. This is probably someone who is a noble person in the life of the Jewish community, right? He's a wealthy Jewish person, which means he is smart. He is educated. He knows the law. He is righteous. He is a Jewish leader. It also says that he's young, right? Which you got to love us young people. I'm going to be a young person today, right? But young people are like, we don't know any of the mistakes. We are just steamrolling everybody. We're like, we got this thing figured out. Woo. Right? So he is young. He already has a ton of power and he's, because he's very wealthy, right? So he's this righteous, noble person. He is the appearance of righteousness and piety. Because in this culture, he is this noble religious leader. And it says that he runs to Jesus. You don't run in the ancient culture, especially if you're noble. Kids run. Adult noble people, we don't, they don't run. He runs to Jesus. He falls to his knees and says, teacher. And I'm not, I mean, if, if you're like one of the disciples, you're like, this guy's legit. Get him on the leadership team and let's go, Right? <laughs> He is everything you want. He is wealthy. He is someone of stature. He is a religious leader. He is noble and he's humble. He runs and humbles himself to Jesus. He is righteous and pietist. He is like, yes. If you're an outsider, you're like, this guy is legit. And he probably knew he was legit. But here's the challenge. I think the challenge is that righteousness so easily turns into self-righteousness and our self-righteousness so easily blinds us. And when I first read this, I was like, I would never do that. I would never be someone that obnoxious and idiotic and just jump into something and pretend that I have my life all together until a few years ago. So maybe I'm not that young of a young person because I have some of these experiences behind me, but like all good noble men, I've been going to therapy, which you should too, and um, working out all my dad issues and working out all my inner demons and, and just working all my stuff out. And I've been doing therapy for, gosh, probably three years, right? I'm cranking along. I'm getting an A plus in therapy. And like one of my spiritual gifts is I'm reflective. I can share what seems to you as my deepest, darkest, and that is like child's play because my deepest, darkest is deep, right? So the therapist thinks like, gosh, who is this middle-aged man who's just sharing so deeply? I'm like, she loves me, right? So I'm sharing and I'm sharing. And of course, because I mean, we're doing some real work and, and I don't, 
there's some a, a roadblock, so to speak. And she's like, it'd probably be good if, if Katie was here, my wife, if she came and spoke with us as well. I'm like, oh boy, right? That, that's never a good sign. <laughs> so, so Katie comes in and we're talking. And two minutes into the session, Katie says, well, it's probably because when Ben was a child, blah, 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 lays out my deepest, darkest, like my deepest, darkest childhood trauma that nobody knows. I mean, Katie is the only one that knows. No joke. Exactly. And she just goes, two minutes into therapy, it's because of blah, blah, blah. And my therapist looks at me and goes, huh. <laughs> I'm like, that is horrifying, right? But I realize, oh my goodness, it is in us. The rich young ruler thing, it is in us. I wanted my therapist to think I am on the journey. I'm working hard. I didn't want her to know what was really going on, right? And I think, gosh, that, it gives me grace for the rich young ruler. He loves God. He's been blessed by God. He wants to know what it's like to run after God. He humbles himself. Like, and in our self-righteousness, we are just blind to the main thing because we just think we're doing it. And I just think, gosh, what an important little step. Like the rich young ruler for all the garbage that he gets and it's so hard to think about. I just think his fatal fall ultimately is that he was totally blind to his own brokenness, to his own garbage. And we in the church, gosh, we love self-righteousness. We, we, we say God can work on this thing, right? And then we kind of present ourselves really well. So I just think that is what happened. His self-righteousness just blinded him. And you can go and you can see this because he goes on and says this. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus says, gosh, why do you call me good? Nobody is good. Only God is good. And this used to be a big theological um, understanding in the church back in the good old days. But in our day and age, this is like an anathema. What? Nobody is good. We are good. We are good people. We are Marin people. I mean, we compost for crying out loud. We are the good ones. <laughs> but spiritually, this is a hard truth. And even people who have been around the block a long time, we forget that we actually are not good, right? Paul in Romans 7 says, gosh, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to save me from the bo this body of death? He quotes earlier in Romans 3, he quotes a psalm and says, no one is righteous. No one seeks after God. In Jeremiah 17, right, the, the, the prophet says, the heart is deceitful and it is beyond repair. Like, yes, we're made in the image of God. Yes, we're noble. Yes, we are capable of incredible good things, but we need to understand that we are not good. And because we keep trying to prove that we're good, we keep steamrolling one another. Once we realize the heart is deceitful and nothing can cure it, all of a sudden we're going to walk a little more gingerly, right? All of a sudden all those landmines are going to be like, oh, okay, we're going to take a little step back. I love it in the, in the recovery community, which, do you know the 12 steps, like the ultimate in discipleship? It begins like this. We admit that we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become completely unmanageable. That's how it begins. In the good old days in Christianity, that's how the Christian journey began. <sighs> My life is unmanageable because of fill in the blank. Is unmanageable. I've become out of control because of this thing. And now I need you, Jesus. And any single person who comes to Jesus and says, my life is unmanageable. I've come to the end of my rope. I am broken and needy. Please have mercy on me. Jesus is like, let's go. Every single one. When we're like, you're pretty lucky to have me. Oh boy. That's where it gets, gets kind of gnarly. 
And here's the last part. Jesus looked at him, right? He says, so he says, gosh, why do you call me good? Keep the commands. Of course he goes, I kept the commands. He's like, well, if you think you're that awesome, then let's really dance. And then he says, all right, sell everything. And that's like every adult human being, every American, every Marin County person's like, please no. All the Sonoma County people are like, that's right, preach it, right? <laughs> it is a brutal, brutal, brutal thing. Go and sell. But what I love about the ministry of Jesus is that every single person that Jesus comes into, now Jesus went to every single person and said, sell all you have, sell all you have, sell all you have. Boy, now we have a big problem. Right now we have a small problem. What's so great is that Jesus goes to every single individual person. He sees every single individual person and says, hey, here's your thing. Here's your thing. Here's your thing. Here's your thing. And so as we get ready to land the plane in a few more minutes here, the thing I'd love for you just kind of be ruminating on and wrestling through and asking the Holy Spirit is, okay, God, gosh, what is my thing? Because we cannot be on this discipleship journey unless we're willing to own what our thing is and begin to figure out how to lay that thing down. So the question is, what is the cost? What is this cost that Jesus is talking about? For the rich young ruler, uh, Michael, let's skip up a couple. For the rich young ruler, um, right, it was to give and sell everything. But what is, what is the cost? It's the one with the hands all going in. Just because these are my notes too. That's why I have to get there. Sorry. So what is this posture, right, that, that we need? Well, earlier um, in, in Mark chapter 14, uh, Jesus tells this parable about the kingdom of God. He says, gosh, there's a man um, who comes across this field and in the field is this treasure. He sees this treasure and what does he do? Who knows what he does when he finds the treasure? Well, first he covers it up like the dog that he is. He covers it up. He goes, sells everything, buys the field with such joy. He's just like, jackpot. I figured it out, right? And I love it because really, I think of that like, we think, what, who would do that? But think of all of you who've ever been in young love. You will do anything. When Kay and I were dating, and I, we were young baby. She was in college up in Chico. I was in college down in Santa Barbara. I would drive 10 hours in my little Volkswagen bug. I didn't care about my classes. I didn't care about gas. I didn't care about one thing. I knew 10 hours away was this girl that we got to make out with, and it was going to be legit. <laughs> I didn't care, right? Young love, you're like, whatever the cost is, I will sell it all. We can figure out how to make money down the road. You, with great joy, you find the thing, and you run after it. And many of us in our beginning parts of our falling in love with Christ, we fall in love with Christ. We're like, gosh, Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm in. And what's so fun, right? That was first season of being a Christian. We are in this giant growth trajectory. God's like, do this, do this. You're like, yes, yes, yes. And we have this awesome growth trajectory. And it is incredible. In Luke chapter 14, right? Um, Jesus, Jesus tells this other story about someone who wants to build a tower. And he goes to build this tower. He says, but before you go and buy this, before you go and build this tower, just simmer down. Because you don't want to be one of those people who builds the foundation, gets halfway through, runs out of money, and now, A, you don't have any money, and you're now the laughingstock. Jesus says, you don't want to be ridiculed. Brutal. Right? Entire villages and towns in China. That's what's happening to them. Right? They built, you see this, the, the news, these giant skyscrapers everywhere, and everyone ran out of money, and you're like, ha, suckers, right? You don't want to be that person. Because the deal with discipleship is it's not a momentary thing. It's not, oh, I love God. This is great. It is a life. It is a life of discipleship, which means, gosh, if you found Christ early in your life, you're looking at 60 years, 80 years. You're looking at a lifetime of moving towards Christ. 
So what's the cost? Yes, in one hand, you're like, yes, I'm all in. You find the love. It's passionate. It's great. It's like, you know, and so I think of Kate and I, we were, when we were super young and dating, we would do anything. We stood in front of each other uh, to get married and we said these vows and rich, the richer or poorer, sickness and health. Like, like you're saying these words, like, I don't even care what those words are because we're going to get married. We're going on a vacation, right? Those words are brutal, right? Being married 25 years going, sickness and health? Whoa, that means something. Richer or poor, that, that means something. For better, for worse, that means something. Gosh, I don't want to be someone who builds a foundation in half of a tower and be like, I'm out, I can't do it. It is a hard thing. And we live in a moment where no one has to do the hard thing for the whole life. We are great at the moment thing. And unfortunately, the Christian thing is not a moment thing. And part of the reason why the church is in really big trouble is because Christians have done the moment thing really well, steamrolled one another because we're not playing the long game, and now we got the whole world of TikTok yelling at us, and probably rightly so. So it's a momentary passion, yes. It's also a long-term commitment, day in and day out. And in Mark, um, Mark chapter 16, Jesus says it really clearly. He says, how do you do this? You pick up your cross daily and follow me. Gosh, how do you stay married for 25 years? Gosh, you have to pick up your cross daily. <laughs> You don't do whatever you want and 25 years later go, what happened? Yeah. I mean, sometimes people do and it's a heartbreak, right? But for 25 years, I'm going to go daily. How am I going to love and serve Katie, right? She's going to be like, gosh, you should do that better. I understand that. But at least I'm in the conversation, right? At least I'm trying to figure it out. And I think what we need to do in our walk with Christ is, gosh, is a we pick up our cross daily. If we want to be the people who are going to know and love Jesus all the way into great grandparenthood, the people that are grandkids look up to him and go, oh, that saint, the Ankas of my, of my world, right? the Roos of my world, the Bruce of my world, the faithful saints, that's what it looks like. It's because week in, week out, we're willing to pick up our cross. All right, so before we talk about what that cross is, let's just take a quick breather here. We need to recognize that this good news, the, the, the ministry of Jesus is for everyone. The, the, the rich young ruler kind of hosed himself, right? Because he was super like extra, ran to Jesus, like, hey, I want in. And so we got we to simmer down. We, we, we learned from that, right? But we need to understand that Jesus's ministry is good news for everyone. For everyone. Every single human being who's made in the image of God, which thankfully is every single human being, God longs to pour out his generous heart towards them. And you see the ministry of Jesus. God surrounded himself with, I mean, Jesus surrounded himself with all sorts of broken down people, with women, with men, with rich people, with poor people, with people who were, uh, were Jewish, people who were non-Jewish. He surrounded himself with everyone and he just extended this grace and mercy. He fed people, he healed people, he touched people, he saw people, he was present with people, he defended people for people who didn't even care about him at the end. But Jesus' posture towards all of humanity is one of generosity. And what I love, if you're a guest of our church, you get to just be a part of that generosity. You can just come get some free swag next week, enjoy some nice coffee next week. I think we're having tacos again, which, oh, how fun is that? I love having taco stains when I preach for the second hour. It's super fun. Okay, so the generosity is for everybody, which is super great. 
And for some people, I guess I'm on the beginning of this journey towards Christ. Well, there's this invitation to be, to be called one of God's kids, one of his precious daughters, his precious sons. And what's so great is we're adopted into this awesome family. And even then, there's not really a call. There's just this invitation to be in relationship, to be a precious daughter, a precious son. And you get to be a wild, rebellious, out of control, entitled jerk kid, or you can be one of the kids who's gonna hold down the fort and take on the family business. In God and his generosity, right? We have the parable of the prodigal son. Even the jerk kid's like, well, okay, you go do what you need to do. So everyone is welcome. Wherever you're at in the journey is really okay. But what we're asking for some of us and for some of you is would some of you be willing to be open to the call of discipleship? To not just enjoy the goodies as a guest, to not just enjoy all of the, jo- the goodness of, of being a part of a, of a wealthy family and swimming by the pool all day and doing nothing. But would you take on not just the rights of a child of God, but the responsibilities, the family business to expand the kingdom of, the, of heaven on earth, to be ambassadors of reconciliation, to be people who work for justice, for people who exude, I mean, just give away mercy and grace and compassion. That doesn't just happen from other people. I mean, I would have done that. If I was God, I would have not done it this way. But God said it out this way. He said, the way this is going to happen is by you and me being co-laborers with Christ. You and me belonging to one another as the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Christ. If this world is going to know any of this goodness, if the world is going to know any of this grace, if any of this truth, the only way the world is going to know this is if we, the church, are as hands and feet, which means... For a few of us who are willing to say, yes, I'm willing to be a disciple. I'm willing to allow Jesus to conform my words and my actions. Now, praise God, there is a long journey for that. But to be on the journey, to daily pick up your cross, to die to whatever that thing that Jesus is inviting you to die to so that you then can leave that behind and follow Jesus wherever he goes. So here's the question is, what is it going to cost you? This is my favorite Scrabble piece, the F piece. And this is the F4. So we're going to look at the four Fs. Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah, I know. Don't worry. I'm going to be PG. But what I need to do is take out a piece of paper in front of you. Um, There's a little white card. And just write four Fs where you can fill in the blanks with, with what these words are. Because I think, I mean, there's way more than these, but I mean, I only have a few minutes left and this is just the beginning. This is way in the appetite. We are going to be diving into this all fall. Now for the rich young ruler, right? The first F is our finances. And I think why the rich young ruler is so challenging is we get finances. We get the cost. There's a cost of discipleship. Things have a cost. We know that if you break something, it costs money to fix something. And so money does make sense. And unfortunately or fortunately, we live in a context where money doesn't just make sense as an object lesson. Money is a thing. Rent is a thing. Having status is a thing. Being, having a retirement someday is a thing. Or those of you in retirement now, right? You're like, it's a thing. What is happening, right? But finances consumes so much of who we are. And maybe this morning Jesus is saying, gosh, the cross that you need to give up is finances. It's become an idol. It's become a thing that you cannot move towards Christ because you're holding on way too tightly to this. Some of you are just, God has blessed you just to make tons of it. I'm blown away by it. And maybe God's asking you to be a steward of that in a different sort of way. 
for all sorts of different ministries and nonprofits and places that are changing the world. How do you leverage it, right? So one, the first F is finances. What is, maybe there's something that God's pinging your heart. Is there's something in your financial world that God's saying, you need to let go of this. The second is our flesh. And really, sometimes it's hard to move. If you think about if you ever had a giant meal and eaten a ton of sodium, and then the next morning you wake up, and you're like, I don't really want to get out of bed today. Or you get out of bed and you make pancakes. You're like, that was great. And then you don't really want to get out of bed anymore. Or you go back to bed. There's something about our flesh. We satisfy our flesh. We love how it makes us feel, but it limits us. It, it cuts us back. It, hamper, it hinders us from actually being who God called us to be. And so our flesh, when we satisfy our flesh, we actually dampen what the movement of the Holy Spirit wants to do with us. And for that, that is everybody. We all have something different. So this isn't like you need to. I mean, we all have it. We all have different things. It's food, it's sleep, it's pot, it's alcohol, it's porn, it's health even, right? We all have things that we do to satisfy our flesh that's holding us back from knowing Christ. So maybe there's something in that category that Jesus is asking you to die to. The third is our friendships. And I think as I've gotten older, you know, as we all get older, we kind of get to choose our friendships. And so most of our friendships are less of a liability than they used to be. But, um, but think of it this way. How is God asking you to use your friendships to move towards Christ? And sometimes our friendships actually hinder us moving Christ. Like what's wild is I have so many great friends from the church and, and a lot of my friendships started in ways that weren't super religious-y. And so we've been a part of the church for a long time. And yet it's weird if we pray before a meal or it's weird if we're going to talk about something spiritual, even though I know you love God, I love God, but some, for some reason we don't get there because of how our friendship dynamic is. And so maybe there's a way that your friendship dynamics need to change. Maybe you're part of a a toxic friendship that is just crushing you and holding you back and having to let that go. And the fourth fourth F is is flow. Now, let's be honest, I had to go to a thesaurus for this one, but really we're talking about time um, and how we use our time. And everyone says we're so busy. And gosh, four years ago, I'd have been like, oh my goodness, you guys are so busy. But let's be honest, COVID exposed all of us for being fakers. COVID COVID exposed all of us for really doing whatever we want with our time. And that's really the truth. We're not too busy. We just do whatever we want with our time. And because we do whatever we want with our time, we don't have space to actually do the things that Jesus is inviting us to do and be. So I'm going to give you two minutes, two whole minutes. We're just going to have a moment of silence and you get to actually pray, you get to talk with Jesus. And of those four Fs, maybe there's something different because it's the Holy Spirit working in you. I'd love for you to consider, am I willing to say yes to this call of discipleship? Can I at least identify what Jesus is asking me to die to, to put on the cross, to move towards him? And then sometime during this next song, if you're willing to say, I'm willing to at least take a step, to take a crack at this, to try to figure out what this journey is all about, then I'd love for you to take that card and put it in this basket. Don't put your name on it because that's no fun for everybody. Just, but take that card and it's just a symbol of us at least this morning picking up our cross and following Christ. Symbolically, we're going to put our, these little cards in this bag, in these baskets, and trust that we're going to move towards Christ together in this call of discipleship. May God have mercy on us in this journey. Amen. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, We are so thankful for your generous posture towards us, for our immaturity, for our rebellion, for our self-righteousness, for our true righteousness and desire for, for piety. 
you know in our guts how much we love you and long to serve you and long to follow you and long to be used by you. So I pray that you hear our individual prayers and our corporate prayers and desires to be people that would follow you, that would surrender more and more of our lives to you so that we can be used by you as your partners, ushering the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship. And any time during this song, we we'll just encourage you, if you wrote something down and you felt like God was nudging you along, to go ahead in a symbolic way, put those in the baskets in front of us.